Chapter 3 Words of Caution Christ said to his disciples in Matthew 10:16, Behold, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. Be ye therefore wise as serpents and harmless as doves. Satan's attacks against the advocates of the truth will wax more bitter and determined to the very close of time. As in Christ's day, the chief priests and rulers stirred up the people against him so that the religious leaders will excite bitterness and prejudice against the truth for this time. The people will be led to acts of violence and opposition which they would never have thought of had they not been imbued with the animosity of professed Christians against the truth. What course shall the advocates of truth pursue? They have the unchangeable, eternal word of God, and they should reveal the fact that they have the truth as it is in Jesus. Their words must not be rugged and sharp. In their presentation of truth, they must manifest the love and meekness and gentleness of Christ. Let the truth do the cutting. The word of God is as a sharp two-edged sword and will cut its way to the heart. Those who know that they have the truth should not, by the use of harsh and severe expressions, give Satan one chance to misinterpret their spirit. As a people, we must stand as did the world's Redeemer. When in controversy with Satan in regard to the body of Moses, Christ durst not bring against him a railing accusation. He had every provocation to do this, and Satan was disappointed because he could not arouse in Christ a spirit of retaliation. Satan was ready to misinterpret everything that was done by Jesus, and the Savior would give him no occasion, not the semblance of an excuse. He would not turn from his straightforward course of truth in order to follow the wanderings and twistings and turnings and prevarications of Satan. We read in the prophecy of Zechariah that when Satan with all his synagogue stood up to resist the prayers of Joshua the high priest and to resist Christ who was about to show decided favor to Joshua, the Lord said unto Satan, The Lord rebuke thee, O Satan. Even the Lord that hath chosen Jerusalem rebuke thee. Is not this a brand plucked out of the fire? Zechariah 3, 2. The course of Christ in dealing even with the adversary of souls should be an example to us in all our intercourse with others never to bring a railing accusation against any. Much less should we employ harshness or severity toward those who may be as anxious to know the right way as we are ourselves. Those who have been educated in the truth by precept and example should make great allowance for others who have had no knowledge of the scriptures except through the interpretations given by ministers and church members and who have received traditions and fables as Bible truth. They are surprised by the presentation of truth. It is as a new revelation to them, and they cannot bear to have all the truth in its most striking character presented to them at the outset. All is new and strange, and wholly unlike that which they have heard from their ministers, and they are inclined to believe what their ministers have told them, that Seventh-day Adventists are infidels and do not believe the Bible. 
Let the truth be presented as it is in Jesus, line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little and there a little. Let not those who write for our papers make unkind thrusts and allusions that will certainly do harm and that will hedge up the way and hinder us from doing the work that we should do in order to reach all classes, the Catholics included. It is our work to speak the truth in love and not to mix in with the truth the unsanctified elements of the natural heart and speak things that savor of the same spirit possessed by our enemies. All sharp thrusts will come back upon us in double measure when the power is in the hands of those who can exercise it for injury. Over and over the message has been given to me that we are not to say one word, not to publish one sentence, especially by way of personalities, unless positively essential in vindicating the truth that will stir up our enemies against us and arouse their passions to a white heat. Our work will soon be closed up, and soon the time of trouble such as never was will come upon us of which we have but little idea. The Lord wants His workers to represent Him, the great missionary worker. The manifestation of rashness always does harm. The properties essential for Christian life must be learned daily in the school of Christ. He who is careless and heedless in uttering words or in writing words for publication to be sent broadcast into the world, sending forth expressions that can never be taken back, is disqualifying himself to be entrusted with the sacred work that devolves upon Christ's followers at this time. Those who practice giving harsh thrusts are forming habits that will strengthen by repetition and will have to be repented of. We should carefully examine our ways and our spirit and see in what manner we are doing the work given us of God which involves the destiny of souls. The very highest obligation is resting upon us. Satan is standing ready, burning with zeal to inspire the whole confederacy of satanic agencies that he may cause them to unite with evil men and bring upon the believers of truth speedy and severe suffering. Every unwise word that is uttered through our brethren will be treasured up by the Prince of Darkness. I should like to ask, how dare finite human intelligences speak careless and venturesome words that will stir up the powers of hell against the saints of God when Michael, the archangel, durst not bring against Satan a railing accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke thee. See Jude 9. It will be impossible for us to avoid difficulties and suffering. Jesus said, Woe unto the world because of offenses, for it must needs be that offenses come, but woe to that man by whom the offense cometh. Matthew 18:7. But because offense will come, we should be careful not to stir up the natural temperament of those who love not the truth by unwise words and by the manifestation of an unkind spirit. Precious truth must be presented in its native force. The deceptive errors that are widespread and that are leading the world captive are to be unveiled. Every effort possible is being made to ensnare souls with subtle reasonings, 
to turn them from the truth to fables and to prepare them to be deceived by strong delusions. But while these deceived souls turn from the truth to error, do not speak to them one word of censure. Seek to show these poor, deluded souls their danger and to reveal to them how grievous is their course of action toward Jesus Christ. But let it all be done in pitying tenderness. By a proper manner of labor, some of the souls who are ensnared by Satan may be recovered from his power. But do not blame and condemn them. To ridicule the position held by those who are in error will not open their blind eyes nor attract them to the truth. When men lose sight of Christ's example and do not pattern after his manner of teaching, they become self-sufficient and go forth to meet Satan with his own manner of weapons. The enemy knows well how to turn his weapons upon those who use them. Jesus spoke only words of pure truth and righteousness. If ever a people needed to walk in humility before God, it is his church, his chosen ones in this generation. We all need to bewail the dullness of our intellectual faculties, the lack of appreciation of our privileges and opportunities. We have nothing whereof to boast. We grieve the Lord Jesus Christ by our harshness, by our unchristlike thrusts. We need to become complete in Him. It is true that we are commanded to cry aloud, spare not, lift up thy voice like a trumpet, and show my people their transgression and the house of Jacob their sins. See Isaiah 58, 1. This message must be given, but while it must be given, we should be careful not to thrust and crowd and condemn those who have not the light that we have. We should not go out of our way to make hard thrusts at the Catholics. Among the Catholics there are many who are most conscientious Christians and who will walk in all the light that shines upon them, and God will work in their behalf. Those who have had great privileges and opportunities and who have failed to improve their physical, mental, and moral powers, but who have lived to please themselves and have refused to bear their responsibility, are in great danger and in greater condemnation before God than those who are in error upon doctrinal points, yet who seek to live to do good to others. Do not censure others. Do not condemn them. If we allow selfish considerations, false reasoning, and false excuses to bring us into a perverse state of mind and heart, so that we shall not know the ways and will of God, we shall be far more guilty than the open sinner. We need to be very cautious in order that we may not condemn those who, before God, are less guilty than ourselves. Let everyone bear in mind that we are in no case to invite persecution. We are not to use harsh and cutting words. Keep them out of every article written. Drop them out of every address given. Let the word of God do the cutting, the rebuking. Let finite men hide and abide in Jesus Christ. Let the Spirit of Christ appear. Let all be guarded in their words, lest they place those not of our faith in deadly opposition against us and give Satan an opportunity to use the unadvised words to hedge up our way. 
There is to be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation. Our work is to study to weed out of all our discourses everything that savors of retaliation and defiance and making a drive against churches and individuals because this is not Christ's way and method. The fact that God's people who know the truth have failed to do their duty according to the light given in the Word of God makes it a necessity for us to be the more guarded, lest we offend unbelievers before they have heard the reasons for our faith in regard to the Sabbath and Sunday. Section 8. Timely Counsels Behold, I come quickly. Hold that fast which thou hast, that no man take thy crown. Revelation 3.11 Chapter 1. Faithful Stewardship This manuscript was read before the delegates at the San Jose, California State Conference, January 1907. Christ has purchased us by the price of his own blood. He has paid the purchase money for our redemption, and if we will lay hold upon the treasure, it is ours by the free gift of God. How much owest thou unto my Lord? says Luke 16:5. It is impossible to tell. All that we have is from God. He lays his hand upon our possessions, saying, I am the rightful owner to the whole universe. These are my goods. Consecrate to me the tithes and offerings. As you bring these specified goods as a token of your loyalty and your submission to my sovereignty, my blessing shall increase your substance, and you will have abundance. God is testing every soul that claims to believe in him. All are entrusted with talents. The Lord has given men his goods upon which to trade. He has made them his stewards and has placed them in their possession money, houses, and lands. All these are to be regarded as the Lord's goods and used to advance his work, to build up his kingdom in the world. In trading with the Lord's goods, we are to seek him for wisdom, that we may not use his sacred trust to glorify ourselves or to indulge selfish impulses. The amount entrusted varies, but those who have the smallest gifts must not feel that because their talent of means is small, they can do nothing with it. Every Christian is a steward of God, entrusted with his goods. Remember the words in 1 Corinthians 4.2, Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. Let us be sure that we are not robbing God in any jots or tittles, for much is involved in this question. All things belong to God. Men may ignore his claims. While he bountifully bestows his blessings upon them, they may use his gifts for their own selfish gratification, but they will be called to give an account for their stewardship. A steward identifies himself with his master. He accepts the responsibilities of a steward, and he must act in his master's stead, doing as his master would do were he presiding. His master's interests become his. The position of a steward is one of dignity because his master trusts him. 
If in any wise he acts selfishly and turns the advantages gained by trading with his Lord's goods to his own advantage, he has perverted the trust reposed in him. Chapter 2 The Support of the Gospel The Lord has made the proclamation of the gospel dependent upon the labors and the voluntary gifts of all his people. The one who proclaims the message of mercy to fallen men has another work also, to set before the people the duty of sustaining the work of God with their means. He must teach them that a portion of their income belongs to God and is to be sacredly bestowed to his work. This lesson he should present by both precept and example. He should beware that he does not by his own course lessen the force of his teaching. That which has been set apart according to the scriptures as belonging to the Lord constitutes the revenue of the gospel and is no longer ours. It is no better than sacrilege for a man to take from God's treasury in order to serve himself or to serve others in their secular business. Some have been at fault in diverting from the altar of God that which has been especially dedicated to him. All should regard this matter in the right light. Let no one, when brought into a straight place, take money consecrated to religious purposes and use it for his advantage, soothing his conscience by saying that he will repay it at some future time. Far better cut down the expenses to correspond with the income, to restrict the wants, and live within the means than to use the Lord's money for secular purposes. Chapter 3 The Use of the Tithe God has given special direction as to the use of the tithe. He does not design that his work shall be crippled for want of means, that there may be no haphazard work and no error. He has made our duty on these points very plain. The portion that God has reserved for himself is not to be diverted to any other purpose than that which he has specified. Let none feel at liberty to retain their tithe, to use according to their own judgment. They are not to use it for themselves in an emergency, nor to apply it as they see fit, even if in what they may regard as the Lord's work. The minister should, by precept and example, teach the people to regard the tithe as sacred. He should not feel that he can retain and apply it according to his own judgment because he is a minister. It is not his. He is not at liberty to devote to himself whatever he thinks is his due. He should not give his influence to any plans for diverting from their legitimate use the tithes and offerings dedicated to God. They are to be placed in his treasury and held sacred for his service as he has appointed. God desires all his stewards to be exact in following divine arrangements. They are not to offset the Lord's plans by performing some deed of charity or giving some gift or some offering when or how they, the human agents, shall see fit. It is a very poor policy for men to seek to improve on God's plan and invent a makeshift, averaging up their good impulses on this and that occasion and offsetting them against God's requirements. God calls upon all to give their influence to his own arrangement. He has made his plan known 
and all who would cooperate with him must carry out this plan instead of daring to attempt an improvement on it. The Lord instructed Moses for Israel, Thou shalt command the children of Israel that they bring thee pure oil, olive beaten for the light, to cause the lamp to burn always. See Exodus 27, 20. This was to be a continual offering, that the house of God might be properly supplied with that which was necessary for his service. His people today are to remember that the house of worship is the Lord's property, and that it is to be scrupulously cared for. But the funds for this work are not to come from the tithe. A very plain, definite message has been given to me for our people. I am bidden to tell them that they are making a mistake in applying the tithe to various objects which, though good in themselves, are not the object to which the Lord has said that the tithe should be applied. Those who make this use of the tithe are departing from the Lord's arrangement. God will judge for these things. One reasons that the tithe may be applied to school purposes. Still others reason that canvassers and colporters should be supported from the tithe. But a great mistake is made when the tithe is drawn from the object for which it is to be used, the support of the ministers. There should be today in the field 100 well-qualified laborers, where now there is but one.